we're glad that you've joined us here at First Baptist Church Valley Springs. We're glad to see your smiling faces. And uh, I tell you, we have something to celebrate every week. And uh, we celebrate the God who is faithful. And I hope that uh, you have entered into a time of worship before the faithful and loving God. And I want us to uh, start with a word of prayer this morning. So if you would, let's bow together. Father, right now we recognize your greatness, that you are everlasting from age to age to age. You never change. You stay the same. You're powerful and good and loving. And for those who seek you, Lord, you've promised that we will find you. And we have come into this place today to draw near to you. We've heard from your word. We've sang praises and shouts of praise and joy to your goodness, to your saving love. And Father, I pray as we open your word together that we continue to worship and be ever aware of the fact that we're not just reading stories and fables, but we're reading about you and how you work. And God, I pray that we would see with eyes of faith through this looking back in the scriptures, maybe a glimpse of what you would do in our day. And we pray that you would do amazing things in our day, in the days ahead, through your church that is all over this globe, that you would do amazing things through your church right here in Valley Springs, Arkansas. So we open your word and ask that you would speak to us by it. In Christ's name, amen. Today I want to invite you to turn back to Ezra chapter 3 again and uh, we're still inching our way through this account of the returning exiles to Israel and the re-inhabiting of the land and the rebuilding of the temple and we've been on this a while and we haven't done much building yet but I hope you have enjoyed and learned and gained some things as I have through just studying and thinking about this story and what it looks like today in our lives. You know, last week I mentioned that I would be sharing today uh, some of the things that constitute the major contours and elements of a renewed vision for First Baptist Church of Valley Springs uh, for the days ahead, and I want to uh, do that. None of the things that I'm going to share with you today are terribly uh, innovative, probably, and, and uh, they're not new, you should be aware of any preacher that comes up with something brand new <laughs> because the church has persisted for 2,000 years. God has been at work through all of human history. But the things I want to share with you today I think are uh, biblical. I think they're important. I think they represent maybe a, a new formulation or a new way of communicating some of the big things that the church should be about. And the things that I, I through, I'll tell you, through about a six or eight month period have been just praying about um, directional type things for our church and uh, and again not terribly innovative but the best I could come up with is a, a big vision and uh, a big vision spelled with two G's and uh, so I want to share with you uh, some of the big vision that I think the Lord has for us if you want to go to the next slide there we'll put up some of those things uh, as we look at Ezra chapter 3 I think I can show you either directly or indirectly these things from 
this story. Now, this is not the only place where I got these things. I think, again, they're just terribly biblical things. I think they are things that God has been doing and calling his people to for thousands of years. We're going to look back at a story that is 2,500 years old, back in the 500s B.C., but God was doing these same kinds of things among his people that I think he wants to do today. Here are the four things they constitute or represent the four points of the sermon. Oh, man, four points today. Yes, four points. The four big contours of the vision, building the kingdom, investing personally, gospel focus, and glory seeking. So that's what I want to show you today. But let's go back. Let's uh, pick up in our story in Ezra chapter 3. We're going to read verses 6 through 13. So we're going to finish up Ezra chapter 3. This is really where we left off last week in the story. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and to the Tyrians Tyrians, to bring cedar wood from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa, according to the permission they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, in the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who came from the captivity to Jerusalem began the work and appointed the Levites from 20 years and older to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and brothers stood united with Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah and the sons of Hinnadad, with their sons and brothers, the Levites, to oversee the workmen in the temple of God. Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's households, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes while many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. Let's begin thinking about these four points that I told you of the big vision. The first one is building the kingdom. Building the kingdom. That's what this story is all about. I think you get it. We've been on it for months. They are coming back and they are rebuilding. God is building through the faithfulness of the people and the work of the people. He is building the kingdom of Israel. Building, advancing, moving forward with a positive vision. The story of Ezra is that God gives plans. He gives goals He calls us into a vision of what he's doing in the world. And they were building. There was not yet a temple, but listen to this. There were worshipers. God had his people, and that's where it begins. 
They didn't stay languishing and floundering in their past sins and struggles and the discipline of the Lord. They didn't worry about all of the obstacles and fearful things, but instead, what did they do? They believed. They believed that God is faithful and that he had a future for them. They could have, like many who stayed back in Persia, in comfort and slavery, if you will. They could have stayed back, but they didn't. This group charged forward with the plan and with the work that God was doing. They forged ahead in determination, persistence, and faith. They were builders. You know, I just returned home uh, Wednesday night from a little mission uh, scouting trip or vision trip with our director of missions. We went to Homa, Louisiana, which is south of New Orleans. Homa had been hit with another tornado or uh, a hurricane back in August. Over and over and over again, that area seems to be hit. And, uh, you know, we were going in and looking to see what kind of partnerships we might forge with our local churches here in the uh, North Arkansas Baptist Association. And I want to tell you about some of the things I saw. I met a guy named Brother Mike and his wife, Terry. And uh, they pastor in Homa, or he pastors at the Grand Caillou Baptist Church. They, he took us into uh, their brand new rebuilt facility that had been ravaged by the hurricanes and they were just finishing up everything's and it looked great and uh, you know they were getting their facilities all ready but really they were re-envisioning and getting ready to relaunch ministry they basically been shut down they've not had a place to meet it was all torn up and they're just getting everything back uh, pastor um, Mike and his wife Terry they don't even have their home put back together they've been living kind of as uh, refugees in a place but it was so inspiring to go and meet with them and hear about their vision for reaching their local neighbors. They're in, in kind of a swampy, well, I guess that whole area is a swamp. They're in a little uh, area outside of Homa. It's pretty rural. It would be a, about like Valley Springs, you know, just outside of the next bigger town. And uh, what's grown up around them is huge trailer parks. Two, I mean, big trailer park communities. And literally, those trailer parks come up almost to the back door of their church. And it was just, I mean, it was, it was again, inspiring to listen to them think about this. Man, we have this great harvest field right here. And we've got to figure out how to reach our neighbors and to reach into this trailer park. And so they're beginning to think about relaunching Sunday school and different kids' ministries and family ministries in that area that's an area that is a church that pro probably there's going to be partnerships here in our association uh, we went uh, into Homa into that what I would call the inner city Homa's not that big a town but it actually is the major hub around where there are hundreds of thousands of people and so it's actually a really big town I was kind of shocked and they're in the inner city as many inner cities uh, become much more racially diverse and you had a church that you could tell at one time probably in the I don't know 70s and 80s it had really been blowing and going it had a big family life center and uh, lots of educational space but you could tell it was pretty old stuff and the story that I heard was that basically what happened was the community changed around the church and the church struggled to ever figure out how to change with the community a church that's mostly aging and white and you have uh, Indians and Hispanics and different folks, different uh, races moving in and, and they've really not been effective by their own admission at reaching the city. 
in the community around them. There at Christ Baptist Church, I, I asked about the pastor. Uh, I will tell you that the church facilities had just been, I mean, terribly damaged. Lost their roof, and as you can imagine, when you lose your roof, everything else is a loss. They basically ended up having to strip all of their uh, buildings back to the studs. Their family life center had become basically a, a disaster relief center. And I asked about the pastor. There were uh, uh, building crews there, and I said, Pastor Herman is the pastor here. And I said, man, it takes some grit to be a pastor and basically be in this situation with about 30 or 40 members. And they're trying to rebuild that thing. I won't tell you about all the backstories about some of the hardships that that church has faced internally. And uh, he said, here's Pastor Herman now. And he comes around and is an 82-year-old retired oyster fisherman who had never been a pastor before, but he was a faithful Christian man. And he was carrying boards, and I mean, he had a spring in his step, and he, he looked and acted like he was probably 30. And he talked like all the people on Swamp People. Y'all have seen Swamp People, right? He talking about, I guarantee, and that kind of, you know, I don't know, that kind of stuff. And it's just so fun to meet Pastor Herman. And I'll tell you, I was just utterly inspired by the vision of rebuilding not just the facilities, but certainly that. And that would be enough to make many a person just shrink away and run off and hide. But a vision for how are we going to not just rebuild buildings, but rebuild the church and reach people right here in our community. There was some guy walking down the street, and you could tell he was on something or whatever, just right across from the church. And then by the time we left, he was sitting out in the middle of this park, legs crossed, and I don't know what he was doing, kind of like that. And the director of mission says, man, we see that guy all the time. He doesn't even know what world he's in. And it's a tough mission situation their their sanctuary was just stripped back there was nothing in there and they're still working and they said pastor herman wants to have services back in the sanctuary by easter and i'm going what? it's time but they had a vision all of these folks i met when a lot of folks have run off a vision for rebuilding the church and the kingdom and it was so inspiring. And I think our, our church will have opportunities. I'm not sure when or how or what. But I think we will have opportunities to be partners with some of these folks down in Homa, Louisiana. But we need to say this right here where we're at right now. In Valley Springs and the surrounding area. I wonder, just, inter just interested. How many of y'all live in uh, the city limits? Do we have city limits in Valley I think, how many of y'all would say you live in, in the city of Valley Springs? Just raise your hand real quick. Huh? How many of you live within, uh, you'd say five miles of the church building here? How many of you? How many of you think, okay, not maybe five to ten miles? Just curious. How many are uh, ten to twenty? All right. How many are, are in a whole other county? You live in another county. Okay. There's, there's some you know this church really is not we need to reach Valley Springs but we represent honestly a big circle a regional area around here of folks who need the Lord the church is not obsolete the church is needed today and I think that we need a building the kingdom mindset and when I think about building the kingdom, 
My mind goes to Matthew chapter 16. Where Jesus asked his disciples and Peter, who, who do people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, some, you know, one of the prophets. But who do you, who do you guys have been following me around? Who do you say I am? Well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, well, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. The Father has revealed that to you. And on this rock, Peter, I will build my church with a group of people who understand who Jesus is, that he is the Lord of everything, and who have, by faith, made Jesus the Lord of everything in their lives. On that, you know what I'll do? Jesus says, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against me. Jesus has all power and authority in heaven and in earth. And he says, I will build my church. He doesn't say, I will build my church for a thousand years. He doesn't say, I'll build my church until it gets really rough in America. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overpower, will not be able to stand against it. Jesus is building something. He's building his kingdom, and he's doing it in large measure through a church that he is building and I think that we need to have a building mindset. When you have a building mindset, that means that you believe there is a future. You believe there is hope. There is something positive to do. We don't need to shrink back, though it is so tempting. It is so tempting to see the challenges that lay ahead. It's so tempting to look at the bad things that are in the past. But what we need to do is look to the Lord of all who says, I'm building my church. And he says, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. You have a part to play in this. Jesus is building his church and he's building his kingdom and he calls us to be a part of that. So the next thing is, we have a building the kingdom mindset and I think that has to pervade everything that we're doing in the church. We're advancing, we're moving forward. It won't be easy there will be challenges. It will be costly. But that needs to pervade everything. And then we come to the next, the I in the big vision. And that's investing personally. I've, I've struggled with how to say this, but I think that's the best way. Investing personally. The Jews in Ezra's day, they had invested their very lives in that place. They had come there to do a work and to give themselves and their families to it. And in our text, we began with the fact that they were giving money. They were giving stuff. They were giving food and drink and oil so that they could hire workers, carpenters, stonemasons to do the work of the building. They were giving themselves to the work. There were an older generation of priests and Levites who were going to do the work in the house, but also it said they were calling up new workers and new leaders in the church, men 20 years of age and older, to come and to supervise and to do the work of the house of the Lord. They were investing personally through giving, through being a part, through serving. They were investing in leaders for the future. They were investing in the next generation. How tempting it would be to be one of the older ones and say, hey, been there, done that. Now the rest of y'all. Just, let's just hand it off to you. You know, I heard a disturbing statistic the other day 
You know, you hear all the time how young people are leaving the church in droves, and maybe there's some truth to that. I don't know. The disturbing statistic I heard that I had not heard before, they said older folks are actually leaving the church in droves. Older folks. And it seemed what they said was, it seems that what's driving this is they just don't feel like it's worth it anymore because they don't see a younger generation coming up behind and participating and they're worn out. And they're discouraged. And I think the cure to the problem is that the church has got to be about investing in the next generation of leaders. We have to not keep going until we're just to the point of burnout, carrying the load all by ourselves and leaving the younger folks just in the shadows and say, well, one of these days when I'm dead and tired and gone or whatever, then you can take over. We have to be about building succession, bringing in the next generation and younger leaders and investing personally in them by mentoring and giving them responsibility and letting them help forge the path forward that is the only way it will work. The glory of young men is their strength. The glory of the aged is their gray hair. And you need the glory of both. You need both working together, all right? They were investing in the next generation. They were investing in leaders. They were investing their finances, their resources, and helping to build the house of the Lord and the kingdom of God in that place. Investing personally speaks about a personal commitment. They were all in. How much in are you in the work of the Lord and the work of the local church? If you were to give a percentage of your life, would you say you're half in? Somewhat in? Not sure you're in at all? Are you fully in? In serving the Lord? The kingdom belongs to those who are all in. And we need to be all in. And I'll t- let me just say this. This sermon is for me. This point is for me. This question, are you all in and what the Lord wants to do. The Lord wants us to be all in. That's what commitment is. It's giving myself to that which is valuable and worthwhile. You know, to invest personally in the work of the Lord doesn't mean that everybody should quit their job and become a full-time minister or anything like that. But it just means I'm giving whatever I have. Like that new wine song. Lord, I came here with nothing except what you've given me. I'm giving it back to you as an offering of worship. I will invest whatever gifts, whatever talents, whatever abilities to building up your kingdom. And I'll tell you what that looks like primarily. Investing in other people. Investing in others. Edifying. Building up one another. The church is primarily not buildings. Again, Buildings are helpful, buildings are good, facilities good, it's all helpful, but the church is people. And we need to invest in people, both Christian people and the people who aren't yet Christians. We need to invest personally, ourselves, and in other people. I think that's what they were doing here. You know, we need to repair and restore some of our facilities here at the church. 
inside and out there's some work to do and we're dealing with trying to figure out a plan forward you'll notice in your bulletin on the calendar we've scheduled a meeting uh, for um, April 24th is a Sunday night we're going to meet here at five o'clock or um, really anybody's invited to come to that five o'clock meeting we hired an architect to help us maybe re-envision what uh, we need to do with the outside of our facilities what are some minor changes and things that we could do to help facilitate ministry in this place for another couple of decades we need to do some work we know that we want to be strategic about that and so our architect has come back and he said I've got a I've got an initial plan ready and I'd like to come and present it to your church five o'clock p.m. in here on Sunday night April 24th we're going to have our business meeting for our members right after that at six we won't be voting on that plan but we are going to talk about some next steps of things we can do to prepare to help fix up our facilities Okay, so we are doing some of that because honestly, we believe it's important. We believe the facilities are not the church. It's the facilities are the church facilities. It's a place to facilitate the church of Jesus Christ to come together and be together and do some of the ministries that we need to do. But let me just say this. I'm not one to pull many punches. We're not going to do anything unless the church is in. And I, I'm, a, you know, I'm a little hesitant to bite off a project like this because what I know is that in large measure today, and I'm not just talking about this church, that there is a real apathy. There is a lack of commitment. I don't really sense among most of the Christians I know an all-in type mindset. So it becomes very difficult to, to say, you know, we need to do this and we need to do that. So what we're going to do is, we're going to hear from the architect, we're going to hear from our little building committee, I'll share some things with you about things I think we need to do. But ultimately, the question is going to come back to the church, are you ready to invest personally in the work of this local church for the future? And that's what it really is all about. Because we can keep on for a while, but our facilities, again, I would just say, are needing some help. We're going to ask the church, do you want to invest personally in the work of the local church and in the things that we have and that we do? All right, so we're building the kingdom. Kingdom. We're investing personally. The next one is a gospel focus. We have got to maintain, and I think our church is in some measures gospel focused, but we must become more so. At verse 11, this is where I get the gospel in this passage that we read. When they came together for worship and they had laid the foundations of the temple, it said, man, they got together and the Levites got their, uh, I don't know, their little suits on, their things that they wore, and they got their trumpets and they had a loud singing and shouting party and they were saying something specific and it was about God. For he is good. Look at it, verse 11, if you get your Bibles open. And his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. They were enthralled with, and they were singing about the goodness of God. I would say that's the good news, that God has given his love to us in a powerful, tangible, real way. Man, they were moved by the love of God for them. And they only saw a shadow of it. We in Christ have the mystery made known to us. How great is the Father's love for us. He is good. 
And when we come here together, we need to proclaim the gospel. We need to sing the gospel. We need to celebrate the gospel and make sure that we are continue co- continuing to come back to the great grace that we've received in Jesus Christ. They were gospel focused. They were grace focused. They were looking to God and seeing how great is our God. And we need to continually be about that. I think the other part of that is that to be a gospel people, a people who are exalting God and enthralled with the grace of God and the love that we've received, is to come in, it is to sing about it, it's to speak about it, it's to talk about the ramifications of the gospel in our lives. We need to be talking about this in our Sunday school rooms when we get together with other Christians out here at the little snack bar, wherever we go. We need to find ways to become conversant and speak about this great truth. But then we need to take it outside the walls, don't we? We need to engage others with the gospel. And I think that looks like two things. I think, number one, it means engaging people with grace and kindness. That's what God has given to us. Grace, compassion, love, and kindness. And we're supposed to reflect that. We're supposed to ooze that out of every pore of our being. But it also means letting it come out of our mouth. How great a salvation we have. We need to speak about the hope, the eternal life, the blessings of knowing Christ to people who are languishing and perishing apart from Christ. So we need to love them with grace and kindness and we need to speak to them about the truth of the gospel. The gospel is a message that can be understood by people. And we have to take it to them. We have to speak it to them. And and again, I would say this. I fail at this a lot of times. I say, well, the gospel, you know, we'll talk about it when I'm up, up there preaching on Sunday. But people need to hear it in our conversations wherever we go. So we need to be a gospel-focused people. And I think there's some things we can do related to that, and we will do. And I'll speak to you more in the weeks ahead about some of the specifics of each of these things. I'm just trying to give you a kind of a, a flyby overview of these things. Let's move to the last G of the big vision. We've got building the kingdom, investing personally, gospel-focused. The last one is glory-seeking. To some of you, that seems wrong if I say we're going to be a glory-seeking church. And maybe it's not even as clear in this passage, but let me just say a couple of things about glory-seeking. Glory is one of the key themes of the Bible, but it's one of the hard ones to get our heads around exactly what is glory. In the Bible, glory is something specific. It's transcendent. It's associated with the being of God and the relational aspects of God. When God is said to be glorious or someone experiences his glory, there is an experience of a radiance and a beauty and a majesty. I was talking uh, to some of the families that went to the Grand Canyon here on vacation and they were talking about just when you just walk up, it's just like breathtaking, inspiring, and awesome. There's a glory to that. Now, if there's a glory to a big hole that God made. How much more glorious is that God himself? There is a glory about God that is life-changing. To seek after glory is to have an experience in the presence of God that is transformative. Glory-seeking. We seek the glory of God, not the glory of man, not the glory of the world, not self-glory, but we should seek after experiencing this beauty and majesty of God. And folks, we've got to chase after it. 
We gotta, we gotta run after it. We gotta fight to see the glory of God because our eyes are dim. We see dimly as in a mirror, but we have to fight to see and to savor the glory of God. Worship, in large measure, is about a time when we can come and seek after an experience of the glory of God. Where do I see glory seeking in this passage? Actually, I think it's in uh, verses 12 and 13. So what was happening, they're having this big celebration about the goodness of God, man. The foundations of the temple have been laid. And all of a sudden, we see a a bifurcation. Something weird kind of happens. We see the the younger group, the people that had never seen Solomon's temple, the first temple, man, they're shouting and they are excited. They're hooping and hollering. We said last week it's okay to hoop and holler in here a little bit if you want to, all right? Y'all heard me hoop and holler just a little bit. All right, foretaste of glory divine. All right, so uh, they're hooting and hollering. Well, all of a sudden, the older group, and this is, the, this is the priests, the Levites, they start wailing. But they're not shouting for joy. They're weeping because they remembered the old temple. You're going, what is going on with that? If you were to turn over to the book of Haggai, which also chronicles some of this rebuilding effort in chapter 2, verse 3, it talks about the glory of the second temple, this temple that they're rebuilding, they've just laid the foundations for, did not compare to the outward splendor or glory of Solomon's temple. It was a little bit smaller. It wasn't quite as fancy. And the older generation who had seen it, they're, they're a little torn up about it. They're like, this is not as glorious as the previous temple. And that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. So you have these shouts of joy about the prospects of an encounter with God that these people would experience in their families. They would come and they would worship and they would in some way encounter the glory of God. And so the younger generation is excited about it. The older generation sees it as being a little bit diminished. And I think there's a good impulse in that. I, th- I think what they're remembering is, man, We remember the old temple and we remember having these encounters in worship and coming to the altar and being in the presence of God. Oh, it was so good. They remembered the former glory. The problem was they had confused, I think, the glory of the temple with the glory of God. It wasn't about the building. What they remember was these glorious, amazing I think probably lavish, experiential worship times. And they look at the present thing and they go, that's just not near. It's not going to be near as big or near as whatever. That's interesting. Both groups thinking about an experience of glory. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing wrong with remembering past experiences we've had with the Lord. There's nothing wrong. In fact, there's a lot of good in remembering the good things that have come before. But the question becomes, are we going to be content with living on the fading former glories? Or will we look and say, today, and for the days to come, we want a fresh encounter with the Lord. We want to know and be a part of what the Lord wants to do in 2022 and beyond. Or 
And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm pushing up on the 50 mark. And I'm tell you, you begin to be that guy who all you do is recount the past and remember the former things. And you, you know, you're not just excited about what's going on now. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to live on experiences with God in the past. I like to talk about mission trips. You know, we get together and we just start talking about things we've done. And then I go down to Louisiana and I go, man, this seems like a lot of work. Maybe it's just better if I sit around and talk about the good trips of the past. No, I don't think so. I think God wants to do something today and tomorrow and the future that is glorious. It will be different from the past. It will not be the same. But you can bet your bottom dollar the same God as back then. The same God who was moving in former glory days is still God today. God is not caught off guard. He is not quaking in his holy boots over what's going on in America today. I, I, I suspect he's saddened by much of it. I suspect he's angry about much of it. But he's got a plan. And you know what his plan is? I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Against the church that is moving forward and letting Jesus work through us to build the kingdom. I will work through a people who are all in, committed to investing whatever part of their lives is left. Whatever they've got, if we'll invest it, he'll use it and multiply it. He will make new wine out of the sour grapes that we've got. Will we invest personally? A people who don't forget about this core message of the goodness and the salvation that's in Christ and who are quick to speak about and to relish the gospel, I'll use those people. People who chase hard after me. People who want more of me, I will give myself to. We need to chase after glory. These are things that I think the church needs to be about in all times. And I think it's the things that we need to be about now. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that some things have changed. Some things have not changed. God has not changed. The work of the church is still the same, but it's going to have to look different. I don't know, I've since this maybe five or six years ago, and COVID just did something, you know, things just changed. It's a different world in some ways. And I think we as a church have got to ask the questions what does running after the big vision for 2022 and beyond look like? What are some things that need to change? What are some things that we're going to have to maybe let go of? What are some things that we're going to have to embrace and do differently? And I'll tell you, it's, it's a little scary. What we're going to find in the book of Ezra is there are more challenges to come. There are people who will stand against the people who are moving forward in the vision that God has given them. I don't really have a grand invitation. This is not a one-shot deal at trying to get you excited about something brand new. 
this is just me beginning to lay some of the groundwork of what I think are the big foundations that we need to be about as a church. I don't have all the answers. In fact, I'm not sure I have any. (laughs) Here's the answer. Jesus and his church. And that's you all. And that's me. Together. The work of the church can't be done by one or two paid guns in the church. Because one or two staff members don't represent the whole church. The work of the church is the work of the church. Collectively. And all of us. And I think the Lord has something for us. And I think what that has to look like as we figure that out is we have to do that together. I could get up here and tell you a bunch of stuff. Hey, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and I think we ought to do this and I think we ought to do that. And y'all are going, amen, good luck with that. The work of the church is the work of the church and what we have to do is discern that together. Hey, John, put on your glasses and come up here, man. John's got his big vision glasses on. And uh, how how are things looking to you out there, John? This is not scripted, by the way. A little yellow. A little different. So his glasses are, are shading everything that he's seeing. He's got his big vision glasses on. Hey, we got a pair for each of you today. They're out in the foyer. I want you to grab your big vision glasses when you leave here today. And I want those glasses. You can actually wear them if you want. Hey, I wouldn't wear those and drive home, by the way. I want you to put them somewhere. Put them on if you want to. But put them somewhere where you you will see them. And let, let those be your big vision glasses. And let that be my invitation to you. And I think the Lord's invitation to us as a church to begin together to pray about what the big vision looks like for us. What does the big vision, Lord, look like for me? What do I need to change? What do I need to give to you that I'm holding back? What would you call me to, Lord? What's a new path that I need to walk by faith as part of the big vision? And again, I think that we as a church have some questions to answer. We've got some things that we need to work through and figure out to move ahead into the future. And we can only do that together. And we're going to have some meetings, at least this is my plan right now. We need to have some meetings that are fair. No, hey, don't go anywhere. Stay here. I'm about to turn it over to you. We need to have some meetings together where we can just talk about what the Lord is showing us about the big vision. But I don't want us to just come to those meetings unprepared. I want to invite you into praying with me about FBCVS. Is that what I sound like when I'm preaching right there? (laughs) Scream away, brother. I told him, you can shout, you can holler, you can do whatever. Pray with us. Get your big vision glasses on. And let's try to discern together how to walk out these four things as a church. Let's bow together. I'm going to turn it over to John to do our announcements in closing. Father, we've looked at your word. We've considered the words of Jesus and his mission to build the church. Lord, we love the church. We love this church. And you have done mighty things we know in the past. Lord, you're doing things right now. 
but we ask, what are the things that we need to be about for the future? Help us to see and have wisdom to know what those things are. Give us an understanding so that we could draw out the specific steps that we're to take. Help us to do it together with a bold faith and reliance on you. Help us to walk in unity and in love and in the mission of building the kingdom through this local church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hopefully you had a chance to pick up your bulletin this morning. Uh, inside there you would have seen a prayer guide and an Annie Armstrong envelope. And uh, we are in a season uh, of uh, giving for the Annie Armstrong offering, and that's for our home mission board. And uh, as I've shared every year, I'm a product of, the, of my home mission board. It's the North American Mission Board. Uh, but I'm a product of that. I ended up in Arkansas, and uh, you know, God brought me back, and that's through the Annie Armstrong uh, giving. And so, you know, I'm a living testimony uh, to that money. That uh, if some of you are around in the '90s and you gave to that in the state of Arkansas, I'm I'm a product of that, and very appreciative uh, of that. And so, uh, we are in that month of of giving, and uh, and then there's also a prayer guide in there, a prayer each day for a week for the missionaries that are around North America. Uh, just a few other things. Uh, right after the service, uh, uh, our uh, men's group that uh, does the cooking for the sunrise service, if uh, Brother Sean will be in the children's church room, if you want to meet there uh, for a quick meeting just to kind of talk about that, uh, that would be uh, great, willing to help and serve uh, with that as well. And then also today at 1.30 to 3.30 is the car and Matlock wedding shower. Congratulations. It's getting real. Yeah. So, uh, especially for the parents. Anyway. Keep that in mind. And then also, um, uh, Acts 1-8, with COVID and everything, kind of shift to a one-day serve and kind of do it locally. And so this coming Saturday, uh, we have the opportunity to partner with another church out of Mountain Home and go to uh, the Baptist Ranch uh, for a one-day serve there. And so if you are interested in that, we do need to know uh, how many are coming. Uh, one of the opportunities to serve, I think, how long is that trail? How long is that trail? Ride, ride the ATVs, bring some pruning shears, uh, chainsaw. I don't know if you want to ride an ATV and a chainsaw. Um, some of you might be skilled. Uh, but clearing that path, and then also uh, we're going to have the bounce house and stuff like that. And uh, so we need to know how many people are coming and be able to have uh, the other churches providing food and cooking. And so we need to have that number by Wednesday. So there are sign-up sheets out in the foyer uh, there on the, on the countertop and on the uh, bulletin board. And so I invite you to do that. And then we will just meet at the ranch uh, by 10.30. So the other thing coming up, Secret Sisters, that's, uh, the drawing will be on uh, April 10th as well, next Sunday. And then uh, I've kind of mentioned the sunrise service uh, there on Easter at 7, followed by breakfast and Sunday school and worship. And then also uh, this coming Friday, uh, our youth 6th uh, uh, through 8th grade, this is the first opportunity our 6th graders get to come and kind of hang out and uh, kind of acclimate them and see which ones, you know, we need to keep an eye on. Uh, just, just kidding, just, just kidding. Not really. Anyway, so uh, it's it's Taco Bell Olympics, Fiesta Olympics. So the Olympics all revolve around Taco Bell. We'll be eating Taco Bell and olymping, olymping with Taco Bell. So uh, should be uh, awesome time uh, with that. Matt's been heading that up and putting that all together, and so we uh, are excited uh, about that. I do want to remind you. Uh, you know, brother, this, this, uh, this idea has been on Brother Sean's heart for several months, and it's something that's been on my, my heart uh, for the last several months. 
And so we did want to give you something tangible to put in your hands. And so as crazy as these glasses look, uh, we invite you to take a pair. Um, I actually have a, actually from another experience I had, with, I have another pair of these, different color. Um, they're all loud colors. There's no hiding them. And so uh, wear them in Walmart, right? When people go, hey, what's wrong with you? Hey, let me tell you about Jesus, right? Uh, pick the longest line you can get on at Walmart, and uh, which, you know, or I went to Disney last week. Pick the longest line. You're there for two hours. You know, we have an altar call by the end. You get to the front of the line, right? They have to listen to you. They, they can't get away from you. But um, put, them where you, put them where you sit. Put them where you drive. Uh, take them where you go. Put them in your pocket. It is a reminder of, of what we are, who we are. Uh, I'm excited uh, for the next several weeks, uh, what God has for this church. Uh, I've been here five years, and uh, I'm just so excited uh, for what's to come. And, and I hope... I hope you all will as well share the message. We, uh, we do have YouTube and uh, channel, and I will be posting this message uh, again this week. So watch it again. Share it with somebody who's not there, uh, but, but I am excited. So uh, stand with me, and I will dismiss us in uh, prayer this morning. Oh, yes. Uh, candy. We have our Awana egg hunt uh, coming up the Wednesday before Easter, and then and then we're going to do one after the sunrise morning service breakfast, correct? Okay. So we need a candy for that to fill the eggs. And then we probably need help filling the eggs at some point once we get all that candy. So let's pray. Lord, this morning, uh, thank you for your message out of your word today, Lord. I, I know for a fact that you are moving. Lord, you, you have never quit moving in your creation, in your people, in your desire to have a relationship with people. Lord, I, I pray for our church. I pray for our congregation. I pray for the opportunities that you are now laying before us uh, on who you want us to be and to do, Lord. I, I pray uh, these next several weeks that we uh, seek you, that we are deep into your word, Lord, that we would transform uh, our lives uh, and allow us to transform the lives of others around us, Lord. Just even the opportunity coming up on this Saturday uh, with teenagers and kids uh, and other uh, adults, Lord, the opportunity that you have given to us to be able to serve. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.